I, I can't believe it. It is already the end of our summer series. Man, what is going on with time right now? So um, if you're here, we're wrapping up our series today, Kingdom Come. And in this series, we've been looking at the nature of the kingdom of God. It's pretty much the only thing Jesus talked about. And so we're going to be exploring that. We've been exploring that, but we've been exploring kind of the nature of the kingdom. What I would say about today as we wrap up is we want to explore the nature of people who enter the kingdom. Because Jesus is inviting All of his language around the kingdom is an invitation inviting us to experience the kingdom. And in the series, we've been looking at people who've been experiencing the kingdom. And Jesus today kind of talks about the nature of how we enter in to that same experience. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. I want to say right up front today, I have to warn you that there is a fork ahead for all of us. There is a fork coming because as Jesus talks about the nature of entering the kingdom of God, he clearly lays out two choices, two roads. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So I just want to say this is one of those good news, bad news kind of deals. I think for many of us, what we hear today, we will take it as good news. But I know that in a group this size, there are going to be some of us who hear the message today and it is not going to be good news. My hope is that it is good news for all of us. I just know that that's the reality that Jesus lays out when he talks about the way of entering into the kingdom of God. And so we're going to look at a passage today that you could describe as one of the harder sayings of Jesus. There's a kind of a collection of things Jesus said that are relatively easy to understand. And then there are some things he said that are just difficult to understand. And this one today is not just difficult to understand, I think, but it's also hard. It's just hard. It's in your face. And this is in Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus describes the nature of entering the kingdom this way. He says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Only a few find it. So we're going to wrestle with the words of Jesus today. We're going to wrestle with what he meant when he talked about this narrow gate versus this wide gate. And God, I'm just asking as we do that in these next few minutes, that you would show up in an incredible way. Um, I believe that when we get together like this, even though there's one person speaking up here as a, as a person, as a human God, that, that your spirit has a way of speaking to all of us wherever we are, wherever we are in our spiritual journey. I don't know how that happens, but I know that it happens. And I'm praying that it happens in these next few minutes as we just explore the nature of entering into your kingdom. And I ask that when that happens, we just respond to you, Jesus. And so I ask this in your name. Amen. So Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate, that there's a wide road that leads to destruction, but there's a narrow road that leads to life. Now, I would say this is also one of those passages that's been unfortunately abused by religious people. It's been abused. So how many people are familiar with the term on the straight and narrow? How many people have heard that term? I'm on the straight and narrow. Well, it comes from this verse. It comes from Matthew 7, 13. That's where that language comes from. But oftentimes, the road to be on the straight and narrow, defined by religious people, looks a lot like this. They basically come and they say, or you might hear them yelling from a street corner when they say, there's a wide road. There's a wide road to destruction, you sinners. And you sinners are on that road. You people who drink. You people who cheat on your taxes. You people who are having sex outside of marriage. You people who are just rejecting God. You're on a wide road. You're going to hell. You're going to burn. That's what they say. And they say, but there is a narrow road. There's a narrow road. And basically, the religious people say the narrow road kind of looks like just living like I'm living. Just just live like me. I've gotten really good at being really good. I've gotten really good at working really hard to not drink, to not chew, and not date the girls that do. And if you want to enter the narrow road, you just need to do what I'm doing. 
And that's the way these religious people lay out the wide road versus the narrow road. And I just want to say emphatically, that is not what Jesus meant. That's not what Jesus meant. And here's how I know it's not what he meant. This passage in Matthew chapter 7 comes at the end of Jesus' summary teaching on the kingdom of God. It's captured as the Sermon on the Mount. And in the beginning of this sermon, he starts with these words. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? It means to recognize that there are things in my life that fall short of a perfect God's desire for me. And I can never measure up. So it's not about me pulling myself up on my spiritual bootstraps. That's not what Jesus is describing as entering the narrow gate. There has to be something else that he means. And this is what I think he means. I think he simply means that the kingdom must be entered. It cannot be earned. The kingdom must be entered. It cannot be earned. And there's a lot of ways to try to earn your way to the life of the kingdom that Jesus is describing. Some people are trying to earn their way through their religious deeds. They're trying to earn their way into the kingdom through their religious works. But there are other people who are rejecting God, who are rejecting God and are saying, I don't need God. I'm going to live this independent life. I'm going to be about building my own kingdom. Forget about God's kingdom. Forget about the kingdom Jesus came to establish. I'm going to build it. And what Jesus says, not just to the people who are rejecting God, but also to the people who think it's by their religious works that they get to God, you're both on the wide road to destruction. And what Jesus is saying is you are either trying to be king or you're surrendered to Jesus as king. That's the narrow road. You're either trying or you're trusting. That's all that Jesus, I think, is saying when he says, enter the narrow road. He uses, again, this language of invitation. The word that he uses for enter is a word that means come on in. Just come on in. He's saying this is the way into the kingdom. So I want to talk about how do you come in? How do you get in on the kingdom of God? And why would you even want to get in in the first place? Why is this good news? I said some of us will hear this and it'll be good news, but why? We're going to talk about that. The first thing is we get in through absolute surrender. The way in is through absolute surrender. I recently read a book entitled Absolute Surrender by Andrew Murray. Andrew Murray is a pastor who wrote in the 1850s in South Africa. And man, this dude is just profound. I've read a ton of his books. Not a ton, I should say, but I've read a lot of his books. And every time I read his books, I'm just challenged. And recently I went away and I was just spending some time connecting with God. And this book kind of just popped out of the shelf for me at the place I was at. And I began to read it. And it really just began to redefine for me this nature of entering the kingdom that Jesus is describing. What that really means when he says, enter through the narrow road. And, and one of the things that Andrew Murray talks about in the book is he describes what does it look like to surrender to Jesus? What does that look like in actual terms? How do we play that out? And he takes from a story in the Old Testament portion of the Bible, the section where it's talking about the history of the kings of the nation of Israel. And particularly, there's a king, Ahab, a king of Israel, who was kind of a shady character. This is a guy who was totally into building his own kingdom and rejecting God. I mean, he was just not a good king. And oftentimes, when there wasn't a good king, what God would allow to happen is he would allow another king from a foreign nation to basically come and subject the nation of Israel to slavery or to servitude. And this was happening in the midst of Ahab's reign because he had rejected God. And this shows up in the book of Kings, one of the first books about the kings and their history, in chapter 20, verse 2, where Ahab gets a message from an evil king, a stronger king named Ben-Hadad. Let's pick it up there. This is what Ben-Hadad says. The messenger comes and says, this is what King Ben-Hadad says. Your silver and gold are mine, and the best of your wives and children are mine. 
You want to talk about absolute surrender in no uncertain terms? There is nothing unclear about what he's saying there. Not only are the best of your resources mine, but guess what? The wife you lay down with and love every night, she's mine. The children that you've raised and are rearing and you hope are going to be your future kings and queens, they're mine. This is unsolicited, clear, absolute surrender. He is dictating terms to Ahab. And as crazy as this is, Ahab's response is what I find interesting. This is how Ahab responds. He says to the king, the king of Israel, Ahab answers, just as you say, my lord the king, I and all I have are yours. Now here's what you need to understand. Ahab had an army that he could summon. He was in a city that he could try to defend. But what he understood was, I am coming up against a king who is stronger than me. And the way that I need to respond to save my neck is absolute surrender. And in absolute surrender, Ahab basically entered into the servitude of this king. That's, that's the way that absolute surrender works when you surrender. Ahab understood that, and that was his response to King Ben-Hadad. It's interesting where the story goes from there, but that's where Ahab was. He understood the nature of surrender. And Jesus is helping us to know, when he says enter through the narrow gate, that ours too is a surrender to a king. When you enter into the kingdom, you are surrendering to Jesus as king. It's not a surrender to helpful principles that make your life go better. It's not a surrender to maybe I'll have the miraculous healing or thing that I want it to happen. Maybe it'll happen when I'm in this thing called the kingdom of God. No, it is surrender to Jesus as king. That's why in John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus gets very clear about what is the narrow gate. He says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved, Jesus says. Now here's the twist. The twist is Jesus calls for absolute surrender, absolute surrender, but you don't get servitude on the other side of that. You actually get freedom. You get rescue. You get life. And Jesus says, when you come through the gate of surrendering to me, on the other side of that is a beautiful kingdom of freedom and love and peace and life. Now, I know in my own life, I, I say this a lot um, recently because I've been really processing through some things. I tell people oftentimes, I've been a follower of Jesus for 25 years. When I was younger, I had an experience of what you might call a conversion where I you know, kind of said yes to Jesus. But I would tell people regularly now, I'm not sure, though, if I've been a Christ follower for 25 years or for 10 years. And the reason is because 10 years ago in my life, I just hit bottom. I hit bottom because of choices that I had made. I got to a point where everything that I had worked for, all the religious stuff I felt I was doing, it just was coming to nil because of some choices that I had made. And I was, and I was on the brink of losing a lot of things. I was going to lose the potential of the marriage that I was engaged to at the time. And I just received grace, even though I did things to violate her love and her trust. I received grace 10 years ago that I did not deserve. I had violated friendships and I had violated people who had been confidences of mine. And in the midst of that, instead of them turning their back on me, I received grace. And it was at that point that I realized following Jesus has way more to do with, than me showing up at a church for an hour and memorizing a couple Bible verses and maybe praying a couple times a week. That what Jesus desires of me is absolute surrender. And in the point where I had nothing else to offer, there was no other performance thing I could do, I just surrendered. And my life changed from that point. There's been a different trajectory of my relationship with Jesus from that point. But even in the midst of the power of what happened 10 years ago, I would still say today following Jesus for me looks like one surrender at a time. 
It looks like one surrender after another surrender after another surrender. And then at the end of that, I'm pretty sure I'm done with the whole surrender thing until I realize there's another thing to surrender and another thing to surrender and another thing to surrender. And definitely after that, I am good to go until I realize there's another surrender and another surrender and another surrender. It's one surrender after a time. And so even now, I'm in the process of learning surrender, learning absolute surrender. What does that look like in relationship with Jesus? Tell you a couple places where I'm learning it right now. One is I am learning how to surrender to emotional honesty with Jesus. You know, I used to think that there were certain things I just couldn't pray. There are certain feelings I just couldn't have toward God. I could never tell Jesus I'm angry. I could never tell him I'm afraid. That would be a lack of faith. I, I couldn't do that. I needed to say the right words, even if it wasn't how I felt. Until I realized, you know what? That's just the trap of religion. That's all that is. It's the trap of performance. It's the trap of religion, and it doesn't strengthen my relationship with Jesus. And he's okay with me bringing the fullness of my emotions, the fullness of my concerns into our relationship. And I am learning. I'm still struggling with this, but I'm learning to surrender to honestly talking to Jesus about how I really, really feel. One of the things that's been helpful for me in this regard is something that I learned in a different context called checking in, where you just basically say, how are you feeling right now emotionally? How are you feeling physically? And how are you feeling spiritually? And so not all the time, but sometimes when I pray, I'll just start by checking in with Jesus and saying, Jesus, right now, I am physically tired. I am emotionally angry and frustrated. And spiritually, I'm in a fog. I don't know where you are. And the reason I do that is because it doesn't matter if I say that or not. The truth is, whatever comes next in my interaction with him is coming from that place. And I'm learning to surrender to that kind of honesty and learning that that's what Jesus actually wants me to do. I'll tell you another one for me where I'm learning surrender. Again, I'm not on the other side of these things. I'm learning right now. This is real-time learning I'm sharing with you guys. I'm learning to embrace pain as a way that Jesus grows me up. This one's hard. This one's difficult. I don't like pain. Actually, if you do like pain, there are places you can go for help. Um, that's not normal to, like, go after pain. But I'm learning to embrace it. You know, I pray regularly certain things. I regularly pray that God would grow me up. I regularly pray that Jesus would help me to grow in love, that he would help me to grow in grace, to look more like him. I regularly pray for a great marriage. I regularly pray for great relationships. I pray for these things, for a closeness, for understanding, for fullness of, of experiencing these relationships. Now, here's the only problem with praying for those things. In most of those cases, there is a common barrier between me getting what I want and, and, and getting to where I am right now and getting what I want. And the barrier has a name. His name is Chuck Mingo. That's the barrier. So my own selfishness, my pride, my insecurity, my fear, my resentments, my pain, whatever it is, oftentimes keeps me from experiencing the very things I'm asking God for. And so what I'm learning is in my relationship with Jesus, when I ask for those kinds of things, oftentimes things get a little bit worse before they get better. And the reason is because it is uncomfortable to have that kind of selfishness pulled out and exposed. It hurts when you recognize that there are certain patterns that you just have in your life that are keeping you from engaging more fully in relationships. It's like when I used to sell pharmaceuticals. One of the um, products we sold was for acne. And we would tell dermatologists and doctors, hey, make sure when your patients use this, you tell them it's going to get worse before it gets better. They might experience some redness. They might experience a little bit of pain and discomfort. And then after they walk through that, then they'll start to see some results. And I just know it's not that Jesus causes all the pain in my life. I am more than capable of causing my own pain. 
But what I'm learning is Jesus uses pain as a school to grow me up. He uses that pain, he uses that discomfort for the very purposes that I'm praying about in my life. And so I've just come to a place of recognizing even when I don't understand it, sometimes I just need to surrender to the process. I need to surrender to discomfort for the purposes of more freedom. I need to surrender to pain for the purposes of growth. I need to surrender to those things. And I'm just learning that happens one surrender after another surrender after another surrender at a time. Time. And one of the greatest encouragements I have in walking this path is to know that this is how Jesus experienced maturity and some level of completion when he was in his humanity on the earth. One of the most mind-blowing passages in the Bible to me is Hebrews chapter 5. This is what it says in Hebrews 5. It says, although, it's talking about Jesus, although he was a son, and what they mean there is he was divine, he was God, incarnate, God in the flesh, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Let's keep that up there for a second. This is a very crazy passage. It's crazy. Does this mean that Jesus was imperfect? It says right there he was made perfect. So that means he would have been imperfect. No, that's not what it means. What it's saying is that word perfect could also be the word complete. And what it means is there was a completion that Jesus absolutely surrendered to in his humanity as he walked this earth that enabled him and allowed him and caused him to have to walk through the same kind of maturing process through suffering that you and I walk through. So when Jesus says enter through the narrow gate, he's not asking us to do anything he hasn't already done himself. He was absolutely surrendered to the Father and he learned obedience through what he suffered. The question I have to ask, the question you should ask, is if that was the case for Jesus, why would you be any different? And that's why it's difficult. It's difficult to surrender to that. But what Jesus is saying when he says enter through the narrow gate is there's no other way other than absolute surrender. Absolute surrender is one of the ways we enter into the kingdom. Here's another way. I think willful obedience is another way that we enter into the kingdom of God. When Jesus talks about entering the narrow gate, I think he's also talking about willful obedience. That's why he says it's not just a gate, but there's a narrow road, meaning there's a direction you have to keep heading in. And he's talking not about trying to pull up your spiritual bootstraps and do it yourself. What he's talking about is the true definition of obedience. If you look up the word obedience, look up the word root in like the Oxford Dictionary, you'll find that obedience basically means listening in the direction of another person. See, I struggle with obedience in certain situations. And part of the reason is it feels like blind compliance. Sometimes obedience, even in my relationship with Jesus, feels like, well, I just have to lay down all of my own independent thoughts. I can't think anything and I just need to be a robot. But when I think about the true definition of obedience is listening in the direction of another person, that, sh that shifts it for me because what that means is that's about trust. That's about trust. I willfully listen in the direction of people I trust. I willfully listen in the direction of mentors or spiritual people in my life who are guides for me, who I think love me and have my best interest in mind. I don't have any problem listening in their direction when they tell me something. I don't have any problem applying that to my life. And that's what Jesus is asking for. He's saying, hey, this is about willfully listening in my direction when you're in obedience to me. But he recognizes the difficulty of it. That's why he says it's a narrow gate and few will find it. Now, to be clear, there are times when willful obedience is difficult. But there are also times when it's really quite easy. Let me share an example in my own life. Both of these have to do with safety belts. And I just have to make a disclaimer right up front. If you are a flight attendant for Delta or any other airline, I just want to say right up front, I value you as a person. I value the work that you do. I am grateful for what you do. So I just need to give that disclaimer before I jump into this. <laughs> but I just have to, I have to be real. I have to be honest. 
there are certain times in my life where willful obedience is difficult. One of them is when I am sitting on a plane and yet another flight attendant stands up in the middle of the aisle and begins the safety demonstration where they talk about the seatbelts and this is the way the seatbelt works and you pull it and you open it and they put that to the side. Should we lose cabin pressure, masks will appear in the, in the, above you and make sure you put the mask on yourself before you put it on another person. In the event that the lights go out, there will be lights that light up the walkway and then you should look for the findings and find the closest exit. In the event that the plane crashes and you're going to die anyway, but if you're going to live, your seat is a flotation device so you can take it off. I, mean, I, I feel like there's certain things in my life I feel certain of. I think I know that one. I think I know the whole deal on a plane. So I'm, I'm just admitting I'm the guy that's already in my book while you're doing your deal. I just admit I'm the guy that's already reading the paper. I'm already doing that because I, I don't feel certain about, any, about a lot of things in my life. I, I feel like I know that one. I feel like I got that one pretty much down. And what's surprising is no matter what plane I'm on, it's the same thing. So it's like I feel like I got that one down. You know, that time, safety belts, hard for me to be obedient. I feel like I got that one covered. Let me give you an example, though, where it was very easy for me to willfully obey. Has anybody ever done a high ropes course? Yeah, I, I did one up at Camp Joy, right up the road. And um, let me just tell you, when they were walking through all of the safety checks and seatbelt checks and the way that those safety belts work when you're in a harness, I didn't have a problem at all willfully obeying. <laughs> let me tell you, I'm afraid of heights. I was shaking in my boots. And I remember them saying very clearly, the way that this works is you want to make sure the carabiner has been twisted and then you want to do a squeeze check because the squeeze check is how you know it's really unsecure. And I remember in that moment thinking, I am absolutely going to do this squeeze check about 20 times because compared to my sphincter, this might be the only squeeze check that works. <laughs> so let's get this one right. <laughs> let's get this one right because I'm not sure about the other one. Do you have any pampers? Can I get pampers as a part of this experience? Because I'm struggling with this one right now. I mean, I'm afraid of heights. And you know what, here's the thing. What is really the difference between me on a plane and me 50 feet up in the air? The difference is this. I, I feel like I know it when it comes to the plane, right? My experience actually is a disadvantage. It, dis it disincentivizes me to obey. But when it came to 50 feet up in the air, I was very clear that I was at the end of myself. I was very clear that I'm at the end of my resources. And here's the thing. When Jesus says enter through the narrow gate, it will always be bad news to people who are not yet at the end of themselves. It will always be bad news to people who are still hell-bent on being king or queen of their own life. It will always be bad news for you to hear the word surrender. But if you've come to the end of yourself, if you've tried to be your own king and own queen, and you've come to a conclusion that, you know what, it just doesn't work, you will receive absolute surrender as good news. It will be good news to you. And that's what Jesus is inviting us into when he talks about the kingdom of God. So the question, though, is why, what motivates this in us? Why would we say yes to this? Why would we say yes? And I want to submit to you, there's only one power in the world. There's only one power in the world that produces absolute obedience to Jesus, that produces that kind of surrender, that pr produces it in joy. There's only one power strong enough to illustrate that in the world. And it's beautifully depicted in so many scenes in film, but there's one that really stands out to me, and I want to share it with you guys now. Let's look at this. At the point where Jean Valjean recognizes that all of his efforts to build his own kingdom have come crashing down, at the point at which he recognizes that there is nothing he can do to earn anything in life at that point. It was at that point where he deserved to be judged, he deserved to be taken away, and instead he received grace. He received love that he didn't deserve. And what I want you to know is, I don't know 
Victor Hugo, the guy who wrote Les Mis years ago, I don't know where he was spiritually, but that's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. That's Jesus' invitation. At the point at which our rejection deserves God's judgment, Jesus comes in and sacrifices and spends himself on our behalf, and he loves us into the kingdom. There's only one motivation that will cause you to willfully surrender your life to Jesus. There's only one motivation that will cause you to enter through the narrow gate, and it is love. Only love causes that in us. Law won't do it. Rules won't do it. I did not marry my, my wife because she had the right rules for me as a husband. That's not why I married her. That's not why anybody enters into relationship. And that's why perhaps the most powerful insight on entering the kingdom comes from the tried and true stale verse that many of us see at every football game and it's just begotten so passe, but it is so powerful. It's John 3.16. Let's read it again. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God did not come with more rules. God didn't so rule you. He didn't so give you laws. He didn't so try to dictate terms to you. God so loved you. He loves you. Here's why. Because God is not interested in blind compliance. He's not interested in blind allegiance. He's interested in your heart. And so he wants to win you to surrender with love. He wants to win you into obedience with love. That's why in the midst of your rejection, in the midst of us rejecting God, Jesus was busy doing only one thing. He was busy loving us. In the midst of you right now rejecting God, I want you to know, no matter what people tell you Jesus feels about you, I know how Jesus feels about you. Jesus loves you. He's busy loving you. He's always been busy loving you. It's the only thing he does is love you because he wants to win you through love. He wants to win you through love. What Jesus wants is this. He wants you to believe. And I wanna submit to you that when that verse says, he who believes this has eternal life, it is not talking about just mental assent. It's not just saying if you intellectually believe with these cosmic principles, then all of a sudden you get into the kingdom of God. No, here's how you know you believe Jesus loves you. You know you believe when you surrender your kingdom and you receive Jesus as king. And you do that out of love. You do that because you recognize how you've been loved. The words of King Ahab become your words, but they don't become your words because you're backed into a corner. They become your words because your heart has been transformed through the love of Jesus Christ. And then you say to him, just as you say, my Lord, the King, I and all I have are yours. This is the good news of the narrow gate. This is the good news of the narrow road. This is the good news that the kingdom just has to be entered. It cannot be earned. You don't have to focus on building your own kingdom, and you don't have to focus on following a bunch of rules. You simply receive and surrender to the love of Jesus Christ. That's the invitation of the kingdom. That's the invitation that he offers to everyone. And what I want to do in our remaining time is I want to give you an opportunity to really consider this invitation to consider it at a personal level, to consider what it means for you right now in your life to enter into the kingdom this way. And so I wanna ask you to think about a question with me. I want you to think about what would it be like? What would it be like for you to enter the kingdom? Or maybe a better question is this. What is keeping you right now from entering in? What is the thing that is keeping you from entering in? You know, for many of us, I think we struggle with the fact that it's not about the rules. We struggle with that. Everything that we've been taught, everything that we've learned is that there is value in following the rules. There's value in just being a good person. That somehow that, net, that nets out an equation between me and God. 
And I'm telling you, it's not about the rules. It's not about the rules. But for some of us, that's the thing that keeps us from entering. For others of us, maybe we are just focused on building our own kingdom. We want to be king. Maybe we don't want to need God. Maybe we sense something happening in us right now, but we don't even want to respond to that because we don't want to give up our independence. We just want to be king. We want to be queen. And so I just want you to take a few seconds and think about what is the thing right now that keeps you from entering into the kingdom. And God, I'm just asking that as we do this, you would open our minds, open our hearts, help us to see our own hearts, help us to understand what it is that you're saying. And Jesus, I just ask that your voice of invitation would be the only voice that we hear right now as we walk through considering the kingdom.